Welcome to the Moose Room, everybody. The OG3 is here. No guests today. We're going to get into a topic that's actually farm related, but not cow related. But just so we do get our daily dose of cows, we have some updates. Bradley has has just fallen off the wagon. He's fallen off the wagon hard. He's got cows again. He's got cows again. He's got Jersey cattle at his house. Uh, Brad, tell us what's going on. Oh yeah, of course. I always go off the deep end more and more all the time. I brought home two heifers again, show heifers that are jerseys, four months of age. One was out of my cow that everybody knows that I milked over pandemic type stuff. So they're doing well. And now there's four. People keep bothering me like, we want a brown Swiss or we want a Guernsey. So I don't know, we'll see where we go from there. So we could be in the Guernsey business or the Brown Swiss business. So yeah. You could get in the Dutch belted business. <laughs> we could, if I could find some, you never know. Why you stop never there? Know. Just start, just get one of every, every breed, have a little display at your place. Yeah. It can be like a museum. <laughs> oh, that was bad. <laughs> Anyways, well, so Bradley has four for now, and yeah, it's it, they're bad. It's bad habits, but uh, we'll we'll check in in a month and see. Right? You, how yeah, many there may have. be some Holsteins too, or something. You, you never know what you never know. But as of right now, there are jerseys, and that is it. There is nothing else. There is no other correct answer. It's good. I'm glad that you're staying strong. Stay strong. Um, now that we're we've talked about cows, we've got our cows in. Today we're going to switch topics and go and talk about our other companion our companion animals that are on the farm. And we're going to skip horses because just cuz we're going to. We're, we're skipping horses. We're skipping horses. <laughs> we're talking about dogs and cats today. Dogs and cats, other companion animals that we find on the farm. Sometimes they have a job, sometimes they uh, are just there purely for companionship. Uh, Emily's dad is uh, transitioned and we all know Dale Kruckelberg, he was on the show. He's transitioned his dairy farm to uh, a, a cat ranch now and what what's going on there ah uh, yes the the dale Kruckelberg kitty ranch um <laughs> i think it is definitely a, a little bit of a placeholder uh since selling the cows that my dad has a pretty keen interest in the cats on the farm but we've always had a lot of cats around they have always done an excellent job managing pests for us so with cats, especially if they're doing their job, they get to stay. So my dad has decided that they need better living conditions. So he has transitioned one, the front tie stall in the old dairy barn uh, to a little like hot box for the cats. So it has plywood on three sides. There's a little heat lamp on there. And yes, you walk into the barn and you look down right away at the first stall on any given day, there's probably 15 to 25 cats piled up under that lamp. So it is it is quite the operation. Uh, those cats have a pretty good life. It sounds like it. That's a, that's a pretty good life. I like Emily's point, though, about, you know, having a job and getting to stay. Um, cats, for me especially, I'm, I might be biased because I'm not a huge cat fan. I'll make that that clear. But um, if they have a job and they're mousing and keeping pests under control, that's perfect. They can stick around all they want as long as they're doing that. But yeah, there's there, there's some issues we'll get into with cats and and how we can keep them healthy and keep that cat ranch and that kitty ranch going and 
make sure that we don't lose too many. We're going to talk about dogs as well. They play a big part in our life. And like I said, they have jobs sometimes to, to whether they warn us that someone's on the farm or even if they work cattle for us, guard gates. Um, a good dog, a really good dog that's trained well can be priceless um, and they can make your day a lot easier. So we'll talk about how to keep everybody healthy, how to make sure that they're around as long as they can be. Let's start with dogs. I, I think we got to start there. We'll get to cats at the end. Everybody likes dogs. Everyone likes dogs for the most part. And and I'll, I'll say that the biggest thing that for me with the dog is, is making sure that they're trained well. When dogs, especially when they're working with cattle, they have to be trained well and know what they're doing and listen to the person that is around to, to control them. I, I've worked with a bunch of great dogs. They're amazing to work with. And I've worked with some dogs that could use a lot of work and that uh, have tried to turn bulls around on me and send them back towards the chute. And uh, it can be really dangerous if they're not trained to do the right thing or if they're not under control. So keep that in mind. We won't get into that, that piece of it too much because I'm certainly not a dog training expert, especially a cattle dog training expert. But I will say kudos to Joe. I have watched his dog, his old hunting buddy, Murphy, a few times. And Murphy is a very well-trained dog. So so Joe doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. And I'm always appreciative for what a gentleman Murphy is. Oh, thank you. Murph, uh, Murph's got some manners. They're slipping in his old age, but he's got some that have lingered on. So Emily, did you have a dog growing up? Did you have a favorite dog on the farm? What, what did they do on the farm for you? Yes. So... We, we've always had a dog on our farm, even now, even with the kitty ranch, there's a dog there too. So shout out to Otis. Otis is the first dog on that farm that I can recall. That's not a yellow lab. We always had yellow labs and, and two really stick out to me. Um, but the main one, and when people ask me like, who's been my favorite pet, favorite dog, whatever, that's our dog, Duncan. Duncan Kruckelberg, may he rest in peace. He's He's been gone for a while, but he was a really good dog, um, you know, and as far as his jobs, he, he was a very good driveway alarm, which we really appreciated. But also, I would say, I think he really provided a lot of peace of mind for my parents because he was always, if if any of us kids were outside, he was with the kids. You know, even if there was a, a tractor to be running next to, or my dad was doing something, he would be with the kids. And yeah, he was just a good dog. And I remember we had a trampoline and one time my sister fell off the trampoline and Duncan started to bark to let my mom know that something was wrong. So like he was a very, very good dog and very, very special to us um, because he fit right in with our family. Duncan was also an amputee. Um, he lost his right uh, front leg. Well, we had him. Um, he was following us when we were hauling hay and we didn't realize, and he unfortunately got hit by a car. He, he survived. Uh, they did have to amputate his leg and he lived many, many happy years after that, but very much a very special member of the family um, and, and always will be because, you know, he just blends right in with us. I had a dog growing up named Duncan as well. So I didn't tell you guys that before we started recording, but yeah, his name was Duncan oh, as well. And it's a good name. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. So 
the big thing that you hit on them and, and what I've talked to with farmers and their dogs has been, especially guys that work alone a lot and, and people that work alone a lot, having a dog. So you just don't feel alone is a, is a big deal. And, and it can give you some peace of mind, especially the driveway uh, alarm. I think that's, that's huge, especially because sometimes there's loud equipment. Sometimes they're, you're back and deep in the barn. You can't keep an eye on everything. And that dog serves a really good function there, but even just having some companionship, even if it's not human is a huge, huge bump to your mental health uh, and, and can keep you going and gives you someone to feel like you're, you're working with, you know, that's an underrated portion of dogs. I, I'm going to go ahead and say that that's the thing you can get from a dog that you might not be able to get from a cat. Uh, so you can see where my bias is leaning a little bit here. We're very pro dog on, on the moose room here, but cats are nice too. And something else we were kind of talking about before we started this episode, you know, with Duncan, I, I just remember my dad saying like, Oh, this is the most money I've ever spent on a farm dog before. Um, you know, but, but he was more than just our farm dog. He really was family. And I remember when he had to get his surgery, it was very hard. Like I definitely cried. I was very sad, but you know, we have to talk about that too. Kind of as Joe was saying at the beginning, you know, keeping our pets healthy and, and making some of those health decisions for them. I mean, I don't think it was even a question of if we were going to, you know, get Duncan's leg surgery done. It was just like, yeah, we're doing it, you know? Uh, but sometimes you do need to think about some of those things and and figure out what the best care is. So Joe, maybe just run us through some of some of the basics, health and care stuff, shots. I know we'd always get our dogs their vaccines um, when the vet was out and that kind of stuff. So run us through the what people should know. You know, before we get into the direct health stuff, one of the big things, and we we talk about it with uh, the highway being super dangerous or the road. Um, that is that is a big piece and probably the piece that's most dangerous for our dogs, especially and cats as well. Um, but with dogs, I think one of the things that we forget, especially when we get a puppy and we have that dog from a young age, is that they can start learning right away. I mean, they can be six, seven, eight weeks old and you can start training right away. And there's a lot of resources out there, older resources that will tell you, you know, you should probably wait till six months to do any serious training with your dog. And that is a load of BS, absolute BS. Start right away. That dog can learn right away. And any habits that they pick up, good or bad, in that first six months, they're going to carry for the rest of their life. So really putting the time in and front-loading that training into the eight-week to six-month range is, is huge. And that can include don't go on the road, stuff like that, making sure your recall command, so like calling your dog back to you is really strong. So that if they are in a dangerous situation, you can get them to you as soon as you, as you can walking on a leash, which I know seems weird for a farm dog, but if you need to go into town or that dog needs to go somewhere, you're going to, you're going to love that they can walk on a leash. So start right away. Don't wait because any habit that they pick up, they're going to carry for the rest of their life. After that, like Emily was talking about vaccines, huge. Um, and, and for our dogs, especially um, cats might even be more important, but for our dogs, we need to have those vaccines in place. And now there's a core set of vaccines. Um, one is uh, uh, one shot that covers distemper and a couple other respiratory viruses and a, and a GI virus called uh, Parvo. That is absolutely necessary, I think, for every dog across the board. 
that disease can be carried by all sorts of different wildlife, everything else, and you need to have that vaccine in place. Rabies is another one that you have to have in place because mostly because if that dog does, for whatever reason, bite a human, it protects that dog if they're vaccinated from having to be tested. And the only way we can test for uh, the rabies virus is to actually look at the brain, take the brain out of the dog and look at it. Obviously, the dog's not going to live through that. So the rabies vaccine is, is really important, not only because that disease is fatal once clinical signs start in any species, but also because it protects your dog if, if something were to happen in, in that sense. So, uh, And especially two- a lot of our farm dogs are outdoor dogs, too. And so, you know, they, they may run across uh, raccoons or possums or any number of things that they could get rabies from. And in Minnesota, skunks are our number one carrier of rabies. So you know that they're around, they love to live under buildings and the dogs always, you know, they get sprayed, which is also dangerous for them actually. But, but yeah, skunks carry our rabies, most of the rabies in this area in Minnesota. So I think we've all been around a dog who's been sprayed before and tangled with a skunk. So it's a real possibility and, and it should be something you do. After that, on the vaccine side, it's something you talk about with your veterinarian. With these dogs that are outside all the time, uh, I think vaccination for lepto and Lyme is, is something you should consider. Leptospirosis, just like in cattle, carried by mice and deer associated with stagnant water. And we all know farm dogs drink out of whatever puddle they find. So uh, something I would consider for sure. Uh, Lyme disease as well with ticks and everything else around. I think that being outside all the time, banging through the woods or the tall grass, working cattle, whatever they do, uh, ticks are a real issue as well. So those are the the vaccines on the dog side that I I truly advocate for. Um, But the most important being the distemper and the rabies vaccine. And one thing I would add, kind of going back to what you were saying before, Joe, about training and, and the importance of that and I would I would remind our farmers out there that if you have 4-H kids, um, most counties have a 4-H dog project, and your kids can take the dog through obedience training and agility training and showmanship and all that fun stuff. Um, and that's actually what I did with our dog. So Duncan, prior to his amputation, was my was my show dog, but I I retired him after that. And then the dog we got after Duncan, Dixie, she was. She was my girl for sure. Uh, we made it all the way to the state 4-H dog show. Uh, we were a reserve champion in our obedience class. So that's that's my other special dog. And there's just community obedience classes and just those things. Those especially are really great uh, for leash training dogs and getting them used, you know, to to simple commands, you know, sit, stay, lay down, all of those. Um, and, and yeah, and if you have kids, I mean, it's a really fun project for them. I know I really felt a lot of ownership over it, training the dog and then teaching what I learned to my family so that we all use the same commands. Um, it was a really, really great experience. So there you go. Bonus 4-H project. Let's talk about the next most important thing. And we're going to talk about cattle actually for a second. Dogs and cats, both of them benefit from the, the proper body condition. And actually, dogs and cats are graded on the exact same scale as beef cattle. So one through nine, ideal being five, body condition is huge. And there's been a couple studies, uh, Perina did one of them, where they looked at keeping dogs at the correct body condition versus just keeping them slightly over or allowing dogs to eat as much as they wanted and them being quite a bit overweight. 
what they found was that having the dog the correct body condition its whole life actually meant that you on average spent two more years with your dog. So we're talking about a big chunk of their life. You know, if you, you've got a lifespan of 12 to 15 years or, you know, eight to 10 with our, our large breed dogs, two, two years is a long time. So it's, it really is important. Now I'm a, I'm a big proponent of dog food. I, I don't think anybody should be really spending the time to cook for their dog or feeding a raw diet, which is even the worse idea. Dog food is great. Dogs don't need variety. They want the same thing every day. That's fine. And that's, that's perfect. I'm also not a huge proponent of real expensive food uh, unless you want to buy it. I think as long as you stick with the four big companies um, where they actually do trials on dogs and they have really good research behind their food, I think that's great. You don't have to spend a, a, a ton of money to get dog food that's going to work. So the big four companies would be Iams, Royal Canin, Hills, and Perina. Those four I really, really trust. They do a great job. Uh, their diets are tested really, really well. Quality control is there. Yeah, you don't have to spend $100 a bag on food to make it a good food and have it work, but you got to control body condition because that is really, really important. All right. So, Joe, another thing that I think we need to talk about, again, this is based on a lot of my experiences growing up, and that is spaying and neutering our, our dogs on the farm. And I, I mentioned our dog after Duncan. Her name would, was Dixie. Um, she was half yellow lab, half something that came into the yard one night. Uh, we got her from a neighbor. And while, you know, puppies are great and we were very grateful to have her, um, it did kind of bring up conversations about spaying and neutering. And of course, we got her uh, spayed as soon, as soon as she was old enough. And so just talk a little bit about the importance of that. Yeah, you know, it's it's a very individual choice and and some people choose not to neuter or spay their their animals, which is fine, but it does come with the risks of having puppies unexpectedly or being on the other end, right? And having your dog wander off to the neighbors and and cause that pregnancy. So, I think some of the misconceptions about neutering are that it really changes behavior drastically. The the only really documented behavior that changes in a significant way is anything related to seeking a female. So that's ranging and, and leaving the farm to go searching for love. Any of those behaviors related directly to that change. But for the most part, attitude, aggression, all these other things don't, don't change with a neuter. So you got to keep that in mind to have the right expectations. But it's really important for our male dogs, in, in my mind, to neuter because it keeps them closer to home. Uh, and it's much safer for them because they're a lot less likely to go on the road, all these other things. So I, I really am a big fan of doing that. Now, I like to wait. Uh, it depends on the breed of the dog. Uh, most of our farm dogs aren't little tiny white fluffy dogs. So they're, they're a little bigger. So I like to wait at least a year. If we've got really big dogs, you know, we're talking Great Danes, Irish Wolfhounds, that kind of thing. Then we're waiting closer to two. Uh, just to make sure that all our joints are, are grown as much as they, they should be before we take that testosterone away. But I think that that's really the big thing is it makes your dog safer. They stay closer to home. They're less likely to wander. Uh, so it's really, really important. And it keeps you from getting a spot where you get the neighbor's dog pregnant. On the female side, it, it's a little different. And it's a little controversial right now, just not controversial, but there's a lot of debate on when the timing of spaying should happen. Uh, we know 
that every time we go through a heat cycle, we pretty much double the chance of ovarian cancer uh, for that female dog. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Joe. I misspoke in this episode. I don't know where my brain was. I said ovarian cancer and what I meant was mammary cancer. So when we're talking about spaying dogs and we're talking about when to do it, each heat cycle increases the chance of mammary cancer. It's a really big deal for cats because mammary cancers in cats are really, really, really aggressive. In dogs, less so, but they still can be malignant, so it's something we need to worry about. Everything else I said applies, but I misspoke. It's not ovarian cancer, it's mammary cancer. All right, let's jump back in. So initially, it's not that big a deal, right? I, in my opinion, it's not that big a deal because it doubles, but it goes from a really small number to another really small number. But if you leave that over and over and over again, it, the chances of getting cancer goes up quite a bit. So I, I think the timing is, is, is what we need to, we need to look at. And the timing is, you know, their first heat cycle is anywhere between six and eight months, nine months, 10 months, depending on the breed. Um, but I don't mind if they go through one heat. A lot of people like to do that for whatever reason, that's fine. I just don't, if you know, you're not going to breed the dog, there's no reason to leave that female dog unspayed or intact if you're not going to breed them or you have no intention of breeding them. So you might as well get it done. Uh, I think six to eight months is a good time frame before the first heat is fine. If you want to let them go through one heat cycle, great, and then do it after that. But you do have to leave some time after that heat cycle to make sure that that, that uterus isn't too fragile for the surgery. So it's a great idea. Now, when we talk about cats, man, it's even more important. I think we've all seen cats multiply pretty quickly. Uh, as evidenced by the kitty ranch, the Dale Kruckelberg farm, they, they can, they can multiply yes, very fast. That is, that is mostly internal growth, not additional cats coming in. So, yeah. And, and I think that's, it's the same, it's the same behavior with our male cats too, right? So most of our tomcats will wander, right? They, they bounce from farm to farm, you know, looking for, uh, female cats in heat. So if you have a tomcat that you really like and you want them to be safe and you want them to stick around, neutering is a great, great idea. Now, because tomcats move around all the time, your population control probably, if you want to control the population of cats in your farm, is in spaying the females that you like and, and getting that figured out. Because, yeah, there's always a tomcat around bouncing from farm to farm. And if you, you can try to neuter them all you want, there's always going to be another one that's intact that's going to find its way to your farm. So I think spaying the females, if you really want to get after it, is is the way to control your cat population if if that's the route you want to go. Is there anything else uh, related to dogs, Joe, that we should be talking about before we move on to cats? I think the the big thing we haven't quite talked about yet is is preventatives for heartworm and flea and tick preventatives. Uh, those are those are huge. Uh, I mean. these dogs are outside all day. They come into contact with wildlife. They come into contact with dogs from the farm next door, cats, you know, and, and fleas are a nuisance for these dogs and they're really uncomfortable. So flea and tick preventatives are really, really important. I have my dogs on them year round just because the fleas uh, are still around in the winter, even though the ticks are probably most of the time gone, depending on how warm it gets in some of our weird winter days. And then I have, the, I have my dogs on the heartworm preventative year round as well. Um, the reason I do that is mostly because I have uh, a young kid in the house and I don't want him to 
have contact with any of the parasites, internal GI parasites that the dogs get just from eating random stuff in the yard and anything else. So I think that's, uh, that's why I do it because it does work as a, a monthly dewormer. When those parasites, GI parasites get into someone who is immunosuppressed or young or old, they can do some weird things and end up in some weird spots. So it's just something that I think about all the time. Uh, and so I, I do that year round as well. Now the heartworm itself, yeah, I know it's transferred by mosquitoes and that's not going to be a thing year round, but I do like to deworm my, my dog, uh, monthly. So that's why I do it year round on the flea and tick side. There's a lot of cool preventatives for farmers that last a long time too. There's collars now that last eight months. So, I mean, that's, that's a really nice option where you, you can put it on your dog and not worry about it. Um, and not have to give a pill or do something every month. So I really like that option for farmers, especially on the flea and tick side. All right. Is it time to move on to cats? Yeah, I guess we can talk about cats quick. Yeah. I mean, we've covered some of, some of what we needed to with cats already, you know, same thing applies with, you know, food, body condition, getting that, that correct. If you have cats that you want, want to stick around vaccines are huge issue. That's how you keep the cats that you like alive is vaccines. Uh, because we have so many numbers, we have cats traveling from farm to farm, wildlife, all this other stuff. Uh, those vaccines become incredibly important. Same kind of thing. We have a, a small core of vaccines and then some that you can add if you, if you feel like you need it. Our core includes protection for some upper respiratory diseases that can turn into neurologic diseases and cause some effects on the eyes and then um, prevention for feline distemper. It's a different virus. It doesn't affect the dogs, but it has similar clinical signs. And that's the one I worry about the most. Uh, it's actually feline panleukopenia virus, which is, it just, it's the number one killer of cats, especially unvaccinated cats and kittens. So if you got cats that you want to keep around and kittens that you like, or a litter that you love, you got to get them vaccinated because uh, it's, it's a huge protection for them. And then the same discussion with rabies, you know, cats, as you know, are unpredictable and can be cantankerous at best sometimes. So getting a, a cat bite is a serious deal, uh, not only because of the bacteria, but because there's the, the risk of rabies there as well. So you want to be vaccinated for that. There's other diseases. I think you got to talk to your veterinarian about them because it gets a little complex on when you give those vaccines and why, and if you have to do some testing first. So I have a question, Joe, uh, on, on the food thing with cats. So I, you know, like you, I've been to a lot of farms in my life and, and seen a lot of different setups and, and management styles and whatever, including with pets. And there are some people that believe that they should not have food available for their cats because if they do, they won't mouse. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. I know we growing up, uh, the cats would eat the dog food if they were hungry, which good or bad, I don't know. Uh, but then later on, we did start putting out cat food, but not a lot. And, and we had quite a few cats and we didn't see any difference in, you know, oh, they don't catch mice if there's food available. When it comes down to it, cats are, cats are killers and they like it and they do it because that's their job and what they're bred to do. I don't think we should be putting out food nonstop and in massive amounts. I, I think that that would affect things, but putting some food out is fine. 
Um, the dog food thing, it depends on what your cats are doing. If they were to only eat dog food, that wouldn't work because cats are obligate carnivores. They have different nu nutrient requirements than a dog. But if they're eating some dog food and mousing, they should be fine. So it's so ingrained into them that they should be mousing or most cats it's ingrained into them. There's going to be a lazy one every once in a while. We've all seen them, but it's so ingrained in them that they should be doing that, that I wouldn't worry about it too much, but I would stop putting out food. If I all of a sudden saw every cat getting super fat, uh, there's no reason to, to have food out if they're clearly providing for themselves um, and doing their job, which is what we want them to do. Bradley, we haven't heard from you in a while. Have you, do you have a favorite dog or a cat even that you had growing up on the farm or, or maybe you do now? Well, of, co of course I have favorites, but I had a dog when I was uh, young and uh, I think my parents got her when I was a year old or something and she lived for 17 years. It was a German Spitz, so a white Eskimo type dog. And her name was Spitzy. Yes. Super creative. Very creative. Thoughtful of a name, but sure. So yeah, I had that dog uh, growing up for a long time. So that's the only dog I, I ever knew. Of course, we have one now. It's a lab boxer mix that my kids have. She's I don't know, 11 years old now. So yeah, we have lots of dogs that live a long time. And we have had a few uh, house cats growing up. I think one of my cats that I got from my great uncle, we were all, we loved calico cats and I still do. So I'm a calico cat fan. And she was 22 when she died. So, and her name was Kitty. So there's, there's a theme there with our uh, name. The creativity on these names just tells me everything I need to know about the Heinz family. <laughs> Practical, yeah. logical people. Exactly. Practical, practical. So yeah, we've had uh, a lot of our animals have lived a long time. Those are the tough ones uh, when they leave, when you have dogs and cats that live 17 to 22 years. Well, before we wrap things up here, Emily has a story she's dying to tell. Uh, she has refused to tell Bradley and I this story yet. She wanted us to hear it for the first time on the podcast. So take it away, Em. Well, first, Joe, tell everybody what was what was the one detail I did give you? So so the only detail we have as we start this story is that it's a nearly decapitated cat. That That's the only details we have so far. <laughs> so growing up, uh, you know, I talked before about our dog, Duncan, and then I'm not I'm honestly not sure if it was a kitten or a cat that wandered onto our farm or a cat somebody dropped off. But one way or another, we ended up with this um, orange, yellowy tomcat was very similar in color to Duncan. My sister and I named him Sonny, you know, because he was bright and sunny looking and best buddies with Duncan, all this and that. And as I mentioned, he was a tomcat, so he was intact and was a good cat, good mouser. I, I can't remember if I already said this. He was friendly. So that, you know, not all, not all the barn, farm cats were super friendly, but Sonny really liked people. There was a period of time where we didn't see him for a couple of days. And, you know, Tomcat, so must have been wandering. And then he reappeared back on the farm. And he was in very, very rough shape. Our best guess is that he got attacked by something. What it was, I don't know, but it must have had really sharp claws. Um, because he had 
a very, very big cut around most of his neck. By some miracle, it missed his jugular. So he didn't, wasn't like bleeding out really bad. Like it was bloody, but, but he wouldn't let us near him. We tried to catch him to, you know, see if he should go to the vet or, you know, potentially be euthanized. And, you know, to be clear, like his head did appear to be falling off. Like it was just kind of sloping down to the side. By some miracle of nature, I don't know. Sonny pulled through. He actually regrew a lot of that tissue on his neck. The unfortunate side effect was that, you know, he had no way to hold his head in the right place. So his neck fully healed, but healed with his head turned sideways. (laughs) And I mean, this cat after this, he lived at least another six or seven years. Like he was basically decapitated and just kind of kept on rolling. He was a tough cat and I'm glad he made it. Cause like I said, if, if we had caught him, you know, we were going to look at potentially euthanizing him because we didn't want him to be in pain and, you know, get infected and have other stuff happen. But yeah, he pulled through. He was an amazing cat. That is, that is amazing. I'm surprised with your love of Harry Potter that you didn't change his name to nearly headless Nick. Well, this this occurred, I believe, prior to Harry Potter being really big. Okay, so that was so, a, that was a while ago then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. tough. I mean, they're they're tough, just like uh, most of our farm animals. They're they're real tough. He like continued to sire litters and mouse and do all of his jobs. So he just you know had a few months where he wasn't quite useful, but once once he had his head attached again, he was back in the game. Well, that's good. Those are good genetics to, to have at the, <laughs> the Dale Krekelberg kitty ranch with that story. I think we've, we've said all we need to say today. If you have comments, questions, scathing rebuttals, you can email those to the museum at umn.edu. That's T H E M O O S R O O M at umn.edu on Twitter at UMN Newsroom and at UMN Farm Safety. You can find Bradley on Instagram at UMNWCROC Dairy. They have been posting a lot of really good stuff recently about how they overwinter the cattle. And I just saw a post recently on uh, the group housing for the heifers that they do. So be sure to check that out so you can see what's happening there in Morris. We also have a voicemail. If anybody would like to call in and leave us a question, we'll play your question on the podcast and then answer it with us hearing it for the first time. That number is 612-624-3610. All right. I think that's all we got. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. That's how my dad says goodbye, like on the phone. He goes, bye-bye. Very cute. When grandma was out, it was never goodbye. It was always uh, toodaloo. 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 <laughs> toodaloo. Toodaloo. I'm a calico cat fan. I'm a calico cat fan. I'm a calico cat fan. Ooh.